One of my favorite things to do here on the podcast is interview parents of children who have benefited from behavioral supports and education. Many of the parents I've met in my time as an education specialist for autism have proven to be the most tenacious in helping their kids find answers to their educational needs. Sometimes these needs can be many, and that can be very hard to find or develop. Today's interview is not different as I interview one of my favorite parents of all time, Kelsey General, today on the Just 7 Steps podcast. Welcome to the Just 7 Steps podcast with Robert Schramm, a board-certified behavior analyst, educator, author, and developer of the 7 Steps to Successful Parenting. For more than 20 years, Robert has been teaching parents and professionals how to support children in developing the values and priorities necessary to live a successful life. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the biggest experts in the fields of education, parenting, and behavior analysis. So buckle in and get ready for a wild ride where you'll learn to be your best in just seven steps. Hi, I'm Robert Schramm, a behavior analyst, education specialist, author, and dad. And each week I share with you strategies to help you find the path to real progress for your kids who may be struggling. Today, I get to talk with a parent of two, Kelsey General. So if you want more videos just like this, make sure that you subscribe and hit the notification bell to stay updated on every new release. Today, I have a very special guest. Her name is Kelsey. And Kelsey is the mom to two amazing young boys, Brentley and Lincoln. Both have had the diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, but both are, as anyone who knows anyone with autism can tell you, uh, very, very different from each other. Kelsey has searched the internet and ultimately the world for the best help and advice she could get for her boys. She's worked directly with me, with Dr. Megan Miller, and with Dr. Mary Barbera. All of us are fairly well known in the autism services world as leaders in the verbal behavior approach to supporting behavior through ABA programming. Kelsey has not only learned from all of us in developing her own home program for her sons, but has also given her time to help work with Dr. Barbera and others. So she really is a great source of information and someone who knows a lot about what it's like to try to develop or find a good support team for a child who's not growing and learning the way that most children do. So with no further ado, I introduce you to someone I no longer work with directly, but now consider a friend. Welcome, Kelsey. Hi, Robert. First, uh, thank you so much for participating with me today. Uh, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy day. Uh, I hear you have snow up there in Canada already. Yeah, it's our first big snow day. And uh, yeah. Yeah, well, that always adds a bit of fun and crazy to the day, yes. doesn't it? <laughs> yes. So how are the boys doing? The boys are doing well. Um, Lincoln um, is now just turned seven years old and is in grade two and in public school um, doing I think pretty well. already. That's amazing. That's crazy. It's, <laughs> uh, I think Robert originally met Lincoln when Lincoln was two years old, maybe even a little before he was two. Yeah, so, he, was, he, was a, he was a he was a young and a little guy. And Brentley uh, is now eight and a half. Wow. Uh, he'll be nine in March and he is still homeschooled, um, but doing really well with that. And, and um, even though he has a lot of support and does, um, he does not conversational, but he speaks, he gets his wants and needs met and he uh, gets his 
point across, uh, but he's not conversational yet. Um, well, you say you, you're currently educating Brentley at home, but Lincoln is in a regular uh, school district, correct? He's in a public school setting um, in a typical classroom with no EA support. Um, wow, that's awesome. School. And yeah. he's doing well? He's doing well, yes. Great. Mm -hmm. Well, that was going to be one of the first questions I asked was, you know, how did, how did you uh, end up coming to those decisions about uh, where to educate your kids now that they're school-aged? Uh, yeah. You've got one at home that you're doing the the homeschooling and you've got yep. one in school. Um, what was it that, that made you decide to go the direction that you did? Yeah. So it was never, I mean, I, I guess when I had kids, I always kind of thought about homeschooling. I was always a really hands-on mom, even before the autism diagnosis, I stayed home. Um, but then as a single mom, I had to go back to work and those kind of thoughts faded really quickly. Um, and, and the plan was always, well, Brentley was in daycare and in preschool settings to train everyone around him, really get him used to this classroom setting so that he could thrive in school. And that was always the plan until June, I believe of 2019, it was. Um, when you called me one day and things had gotten really, really bad at daycare and said, you know, I think it's time for him to come home. And what that meant was we had tried training a lot of people uh, in these daycares. And at the end of the day, Brentley needed a really, really set way of teaching in a really positive way and a way that Nobody could deliver with 100% fidelity, except perhaps me, because nobody has the same kind of motivations as a parent has. And that day I left work. Um, I stayed home with him and got him really, really in a good place over the next three months. And we were ready to put him in school starting in September. Yeah, I, rem I remember that time because, yeah, I was with <laughs> you. I was with you at that point. And yeah. um and we had to really kind of decide how we were going to address some of the, what were some of the big issues that you recall at that time uh, yeah. that were most problematic for us? At the time, Brentley was doing a lot of headbanging, um, which had always been his go-to behavior that had kind of roller coastered up and down. Um, he was not really communicating, you know, just a lot of really unsafe behaviors um, that we felt we did have a really good plan to prevent. Um, but unfortunately that was hard for other people to do. Yeah. Um, it was, it was a bit of a struggle to get people to put the time and focus into doing it correctly the way it needed to be done for him within the context of the other things that they had. And to be fair, uh, I, I would say that the, the certification and training level of, of preschool and daycare people really isn't to the level it, no. you would probably want it to be. Yeah. Uh, as you know, Robert, in Canada, we don't get a lot of funding. Uh, so Brentley, in a lot of countries in the United States, would qualify with his level of need, would have qualified for, you know, high levels of hours, maybe even with more than one person at a time. I mean, his needs were so crazy at that time. But we basically were working with a government-provided support a child development worker who we were lucky that they let us train to the level that we did. Um, 
So it was really no fault of anyone's beside it. It wasn't the right setting for Brentley with the right people, even though I felt like you and our other behavior analyst, Megan, had really created a solid plan. It, it just wasn't being executed right. And he was unsafe. So we brought him home and the plan was to get him safe over the summer to follow what the plans that were created, but me to do it and then send him to school in September. But I think I had too much, I'll say trauma from what happened in June of, of how bad it got for him that I wasn't ready to give up control or to trust anyone else to do what I knew was right. And he was learning so, so much at home yeah. the day before he was supposed to go to kindergarten. I said, we're not going to kindergarten. <laughs> yeah. And that's hard because, you know, he had, he, he, you were successful. Yes. I try not to use the word we, because I was involved in some of it, but you had yeah. other people involved as well. Um, but you were successful in reducing a lot of the most problematic issues and you had developed a really good teaching technique with him and it was going well. And the, I, I don't think you were getting the, um, the assurances that you would have needed from the public schools yeah. to feel that they were going to do any better or any different. Yeah. Than yeah, what my biggest, seen in the past. Yeah. My biggest fear again in Canada, in the province I'm in, they are very pro-inclusive education, which uh, Robert, I am too. I'm not going to say I'm not pro-inclusive education, but what I am pro is every kid getting what they need. And for Brentley, if you look at a U.S. system, it probably would have been some level of self-contained classroom with pull-ins to like music and art and stuff. That would have probably been a great solution for him. He would have learned the reading and math at his level and been able... However, in where I am, it would have been him in the classroom all day uh, in a typical classroom with probably a one-to-one. And I knew from our daycare experiences and having you and the best people trying to train and it didn't work. And so I knew that that setting was just probably not where he was going to thrive. And and at home, like he was just able to learn uh, and we were just able to focus uh, what he learned a lot more on his needs than yeah. would have been well, I, I've always said this, Brentley's, you know, been extremely lucky to have you and, and the efforts that you put into um, not only learning what you needed to learn and finding the type of support that would be available, you know, outside of your own community to help him, but yeah. uh, just the tenacity at which you, you go about making sure that, that he's getting the the best help that he can get. And you've done a wonderful job with him. Let's, let's just, let's just state that up front. <laughs> Thank you very much. I mean, it, it wasn't without the help of you and Megan and, and, you know, just all great people who have trained me. And that's always my main take home message to parents is whether your kids, whether you're going to keep your kids home or send them to 40 hours of ABA or send them to full-time school or do whatever you're going to do with them. My message is always make sure whoever's doing that is also training you because I think we all learned in COVID and in, you know, this time things can just shut down. And, you know, if you if you don't know what to do, it's a really dark place. And so I just think that's a really, that's yeah. my main message. <laughs> yeah, that's, the, that's funny. That's <laughs> been one of my, uh, that's been one of my go-to uh, messages for probably 15 years now, ever <laughs> since we, almost 20 years now, since we started in Germany, it was just seeing the benefit of training parents and making sure that mom and dad know as much as they could possibly know because pandemic or no, 
um, school, good therapists, good aides, people leave and mom and dad are the ones who are going to generally be there and they need to know what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. So that's how it was decided that Brentley was going to homeschool. And we've continued and I'm not sure Brentley will ever go to public school because I mean, even though he can't communicate the way, you know, a kid of his age might, he's at grade level in reading. He's at grade level in math. He is doing things where I firmly believe in a public school system as no one's fault. He would have been sitting in the corner of a classroom, not learning to the best of his ability. Well, I guess what would that generally come up in people's minds at this point would be, well, what about social interactions and social relationships? Um, yeah. How do you feel about uh, those opportunities for him? And is he missing out? So my first thing with that is homeschooling, as I think that's a big myth. And I'll tell you that for a couple of reasons. One, in most every community around the world, there's some type of homeschool group. There's people who believe in homeschooling and and there's lots in our area. There's so much to do with my work schedule and his school schedule. I can't even keep up with it. But he'll go to different um, classes. They go on hikes. They have art groups and parents all stay. And it's actually better for his socialization because they're often large families with different age kids. So there's older kids, there's younger kids. It's a mishmash. Whereas yeah. when you're just with your peer group, when you have delayed social skills, it's actually harder. Um, also, because I still do have to work, he still goes to a daycare for two, almost three hours a day um, with a one-to-one like he had before. And it's called an after-school care. I drop him off there. I go to work. And he is there with other peers of of different ages, and he has a one to one. He's involved in that program. So he's he's able to get his social interaction opportunities a few hours a day, where he's not also being expected to learn how to read at that same time. Yes. So he's actually able to focus on the social interaction as opposed to well, we've got him in here with all these other peers, but we're going to make him sit in this desk and we're going to teach him to count and we're going to teach him yeah. things, and so that he's you know yeah. he's not really yeah. interacting with those peers anyway. Mm -hmm. So basically we reduce, you know, his response effort. And also, I mean, for a kid like him and, and a lot of kids with, with higher needs who have autism, going to the grocery store, learning how to, you know, just go to the public pool and go to public skating. Like these are all places where whether there's peers or not, are just good socialization and community outings for him. And, and we make those a priority for sure. Let me just take a second. Let me take you back a little bit. Uh, do you remember back uh, when you first started to realize uh, that there were some developmental issues related yeah. to how Brentley was growing and interacting? Yeah. And and what was that like for you? Was it hard to accept when you got your first diagnosis or how did you feel about it when you first heard the word autism? So I can take you way back. So way, way back. I remember when Brentley was six months of age, I actually we did in Alaska where we were living at the time, they do well child checkups. And I remember it as six month well child checkup. I said, I think he's deaf. I said, when I walk into the room, he doesn't like look at me when babies, when you walk in the room, I said, I think he might be deaf. They did schedule a hearing evaluation. Everything was fine. And Brentley actually started talking at 10 months old, signing dog, saying duck. He had the sign for bird. He was quite communicative. And now I know they were all labels, but and kind of the concerns went away. He walked at 10 months old. He seemed almost ahead of a lot of his peers in those ways. And 
I forgot about the being death concern. And then around one, he was actually hospitalized for a week for not walking. And he like woke up totally paralyzed. And that has happened again in his life. Um, And after that, he began to lose skills slowly, but around 18 months, he was almost had no words, was staring off into space type thing. And I actually had a best friend in Alaska who was a, was a board certified behavior analyst. And at the time I didn't know what she did really besides work with kids with autism in a special education preschool, I think at the time. And, but I remember she had a big library down in her house. And I remember getting a copy of the early start Denver model and I think some Hannon materials. And I was reading those and I was pretty convinced at that point that he had autism. Um, so you, you kind of feel like you knew it before you ever got a diagnosis. Oh, I knew it long before I actually went, uh, I did the M chat. We got him into early intervention, speech therapist, the early intervention, speech therapist, lovely lady, never brought up autism, but I said, I've done this M chat, which is a screener for toddlers. Mm -hmm. And he scored like a 13, which is like the highest you you can score. And I said, well, I did this. I I mean, I think he has autism and she didn't write it in the report. And so my partner at the time was like, no, he doesn't have autism. You're not doing anything. She didn't write that. So I called her and I said, I need you to put this in the report to get a referral. Wow. So she put it in the report. I go to the doctor and they said, we can't diagnose him until he's two and a half. I said, that's not true. I have a friend who's a behavior analyst. She has clients earlier. Send me to XYZ developmental pediatrician. They did. And we got his diagnosis when he was 25 months old. And at that point I was relieved because I had worked hard to get almost a year (laughs) to get that diagnosis. And I thought my work was done. Uh, I've said this, you know, a lot. I thought, my fight was getting the diagnosis. I thought that that's, we have the diagnosis. Everything's great. He's going to get all this therapy. Everything's wonderful. Then and we what did you quickly Canada. find out after that? <laughs> well, if we would have stayed in Alaska, he probably would have got a lot more therapy than he got. It still would have been a fight for quality therapy, I'm sure. But we moved back to Canada um, and quickly realized in Canada, you get almost no therapy. Uh, he was going to get about 22000 a year which only covers about six to eight hours of direct therapy uh, a week. Whereas Brentley had a prescription for 40 hours of therapy plus weekly SLP and OT services. Mm. So he was going to get almost none of that. Um, But I knew again, I said, all I need is a BCBA and I'll be fine. That's all I need. Well, turns out there was none of those (laughs) except one about an hour away. Well, not anymore. Now there's quite a few. And I think we've grown in number to the point where it's a little (laughs) harder to not find one. It's about finding ones that um, that are really good and and really know what they're (laughs) doing is is more of the task now. making sure. Um, But okay, so so there was one an hour away. Yeah. And so I interviewed her a little, uh, but not too much. And because I was like, oh, she's BCBA. It must must be just fine. Must be just great. And I sent him uh, to this program in Kelowna two or three days a week. So I was driving an hour there, an hour back, two or three days a week. And he would go for two and a half hours and I'd drop him off. It was, and 
it wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't good programming. Um, uh, and, and what? How did you identify that it wasn't good? What What was so, it that you were seeing that that made you think that? Yeah. So originally, I thought it was okay. Um, and then I took uh, Dr. Mary Barbera's online courses, and I learned more about VB, and I learned more about, and that's where I first heard your name. Um, and I learned about the seven steps of instructional control. And I learned that I just learned a more child-friendly approach, a relationship type of learning and a verbal behavior type of learning instead of a more motivational, uh, based approach yeah. to yeah. training, yeah. cooperation and relationship building. So a lot of what I was seeing when I would drop him off is Brentley didn't want to go in the building. He would take off. Like we had instances of him running three streets over hmm. at two years old. Um, he didn't want to go in when he was there. He wasn't happy. He was headbanging so much. They at one point said I couldn't bring him back unless I agreed to put a helmet on him, which I was opposed to not because if your child has a helmet, there's always reasons for that. But I didn't feel like anyone was getting to the root cause of why is he hitting his head? Right. Why is he hitting his head instead of let's just protect him when he does? Yeah. And a lot of their procedures when I got the behavior plan was very traditional FBA. Oh, when he does this, it's for attention, turn around, walk away, ignore. When he does this, it's to get something. Don't give him anything until he does something else for three seconds. It was just really clinical. Mm -hmm. So when you said that you, when you decided that it wasn't good and that you wanted to leave there or at least find out what else was available, one of the things you found was Mary, Dr. Mary Barbera's courses, and these are online courses, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And I actually found them before I pulled him. Um, Cause I, okay. yeah. And I started learning and I started doing her techniques at home when he wasn't at the center. And I saw him actually making a lot of progress. So it was, it was good to find Mary's courses. And I started doing that and realizing things at home were working better than they were there. And I did try and train them actually. <laughs> You know, in my, so I did you were, try and train you were them. trying to train your BCBA. They didn't appreciate it. They didn't like it. They didn't like it. Um, so then I made uh, the scary decision. And, and one of the final straws was I found out when he was avoiding work, they were holding him in a chair, uh, physically making him sit in the chair. A lot of uh, escape traditional. Extinction. Traditional escape extinction. Yeah. Which is the, you know, one of the things we've been pushing back against for years. So. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it just wasn't good. It wasn't, it wasn't where he needed to be. And so I made the kind of scary decision uh, to bring him home again at that time and, and do it all myself. Um, and that's where Brentley started to talk. He gained all of his early skills. I learned even more and more about the seven steps of instructional control and met our other BCBA, Megan, who, who does part a uh, part in your book. Um, and we were able to really develop a full home program for him in the early days. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it seems to me like there was a lot of really interesting or <laughs> lucky coincidences that took place because uh, two of the behavior analysts that I felt most similar to yeah. and worked alongside with at like conventions and stuff were yeah. Mary Barbera and uh, Megan Miller or yeah. Megan DeLeon. Um, 
and Steve Ward was another one. Yeah. And when I moved to Penticton, uh, I found out that, you know, you contacted me, I think it was, and and we were, you know, a block and a half away from where you lived. Yeah. And um, you had already been working with Mary and with Megan. And it was, yeah, it, yes. was, it was quite crazy. Yeah. yeah. And I was already training. I would already, uh, the speech and language pathologist who ended up knowing who you were before you came to Penticton, I had actually, she originally was having trouble working with Brentley and I kind of trained her on the seven steps to instructional control in the early days. And it was just like kind of crazy how it all worked out for sure. I, I look back at those early days, just being like, it, it's crazy how everyone came into our lives at that time. And, and just so lucky for, for Brentley um, and eventually Lincoln too, obviously. Yeah. Well, I, honestly, I, I feel lucky that, that you guys came into, into my life as well. Yeah. So yeah, um, you've been a big, you've been a big help over the years and just, um, I don't know, just being there and letting people know, because like one of the things that you did that uh, people who are watching this may or may not know is um, on your own, you created a video yeah. about the seven steps. Uh, we're calling them the seven steps to instructional motivation now. Yeah. Um, but at the time it was the seven steps to instructional control. And you created a video that you shared, uh, that yeah. you posted um, that that shared kind of how you use the seven steps with your kids. And it became quite popular. Yeah. Yeah. That was fun to make. I, I like sharing what works for us with other people. Cause I just think there's so many misconceptions and, and, and so many uh, people trying to do what what's right. And I just think sometimes seeing it happen in real life. Once you've read the books can be helpful. Did you know that that video um, has been translated into Mandarin Chinese? No, I didn't. <laughs> And it is now very popular in China. That's crazy. I did not know that. <laughs> no, it is true. I think I'll, I think I can put a clip up here. I'll edit a clip in of of <laughs> you with the with the Mandarin Chinese in it. And then I'll also um, I will link that video uh, in the description here for folks who want to see it. I think it was it was an excellent job of a parent led approach to really understanding and taking in the concepts of the seven steps. And, and uh, I really appreciate that you ended up doing that. Um, I know yeah. you, you did it on your own. We hadn't talked yeah. about it or anything, but uh, uh, I was, I was happy to see it and uh, I'm happy to share it too. Yeah. So. I'm ha- yeah. I think I made it. And I think a while after I made it, I like sent it to you. I was like, Oh yeah, I made this a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was fun. And Lincoln was, was a pretty good participant in that, that project. <laughs> So was there anything specific that prompted you to make that video or was it just? No, I don't really remember. Honestly, I think I was just making videos. I think I get a lot of questions on my Instagram. Uh, I don't have a huge Instagram, but I I like to post videos of us getting outside and, and doing the community stuff we do that I think a lot of people think is off limits for special needs families, especially special needs families without two parents. And I get a lot of questions on how do you get them to do this? How do you get them to do that? How do you, you know, how is that even possible? Blah, 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 blah. And really it comes down to at the core of it, it comes down to the seven steps. That's where it all boils down to at the end of the day is building that teaching relationship. And then everything you do is, is a teaching time and teaching moments. And, and that's how we do everything. Awesome. 
Well, uh, again, I think it's a great video and uh, I will I will link it in here. And maybe if you'll let me, I'll uh, share a couple of your little Instagram posts with your kids skiing and yeah. doing all the crazy stuff you guys do. We do do a lot. Yeah. 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 I um, remember when we used the seven steps to teach Brentley actually how to kayak the couple summers ago. And it was really just like, um, you know, motivating him, seeing what he wanted to do with the paddle kind of okay, well then first do this, then we'll do that with the paddle. And, and now we kayaks all over, all over the place. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. And that, you know, and I love hearing those kind of stories. And, and uh, again, I, I think that, you know, some of the parents that I've met through working with children with the autism diagnosis have just blown me away by the only word I can think of is tenacious, just the, the no quit yeah. the nonstop. I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to make this happen for my kids. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's been fun. So uh, let me ask another question. You've got, um, you've had home-based programs. You've had your kids in preschools, which we talked a lot about, uh, and your homeschooling, uh, now with one and the others going to school. Uh, do you have any advice related to those concerns for parents who are yeah. trying to figure out how to best educate their child with special needs? Yeah, I would say, obviously you have to look at your life and, and, and what's possible and what's not luckily in, in the training I've gotten now and, and such, it was possible for me to work flexibly. It's not easy. I have to work a couple different jobs. I piece things together of working in person at night online, but there was a way for me personally. And I understand when I say this, there's not always a way for families financially and, and depending what their career path is to, to make the decisions I've made. So I'll say that first. Um, but what I think you should look at is, uh, and I didn't say this before, but I'll say it. I did homeschool Lincoln for one year, his kindergarten year. It was right after COVID. We weren't really sure about the schools. I was like, you know what? I'm home anyway with Brentley. I'm going to keep Lincoln home. Um, and I would still love to have Lincoln home, but it did not work. <laughs> mm. It didn't work. It wasn't the best for him. It wasn't the best for anyone. <laughs> Let's just say that. Uh, Lincoln is a very project-based learner. He could learn for two months about snakes and you could do math and reading and everything related to snakes and things would be great. Brentley needs new things every day. He needs, he doesn't care about a concept or a theme or an, anything. He needs to work very systematically through things. And it was, and I was only one person and it was a mess. Nobody was happy. And Lincoln's, yeah. Lincoln's learning matched up a little bit better with what is traditionally in the schools yes. as well. Yes. Lincoln is uh, fully conversational. He is, he does struggle with emotional regulation and some social skills and anxiety. And he, he wanted to go to school. He wanted to be around kids, even though we were socializing all the time. I think he just wanted a more uh school structure approach. more typical and, a more typical experience yeah a more typical experience and and so but it he was very clear that he did not want any extra support and we were very clear that he could not have it because when lincoln has another adult close by to him sometimes that opens the door for a negotiation and a fight which he which he thoroughly enjoys mm -hmm. um but when there's not a one-to-one -one adult and there's just one adult for the whole class he does a lot better so that decision was easy for me because Lincoln was showing me when he was home, all the signs that it wasn't working. Mm. But in general, what tips I would give to parents, if you're thinking about, should I homeschool? Should I send them to school is look at, do an assessment, look at where 
and it can be a quick, just like, okay, what are their strengths? What are their needs? They're really good at this. They're not so good at this. If you have a learner who is really struggles with transitions, like, and when I say really struggles, I mean, aggressive, self-injurious behavior, extreme problem behaviors during a lot of transitions, a lot of waiting around, a lot of what is necessary to thrive in the classroom. It might be a good idea to either look at a home-based approach or an or a therapeutic therapy center approach rather than a typical school inclusive setting. Because I will say even now professionally, I spend a lot of time in schools and private schools mainly. And a lot of the day is transitions, is waiting, is kind of up in the air, who knows what's kind of going on until, you know, until so-and-so finishes X, Y, Z. And it can be stressful for kids who have severe problem behaviors. And so um, that's one thing I looked at. Any placement you go to, I would look for people who are positive, who believe that your child is capable, who instead of being, I think as a parent with autism, other parents might understand this. I've always known when people are scared of friendly, when people are fearful. Yeah. And a I lack of understanding, like lack of understanding yeah. and, and are unsure. And I would say it's best to go to our places, interview people and see what kind of vibe you get. Your gut is not wrong. Um, and see, is this going to be a good learning setting for my child? Oh, my child can't talk and is having a lot of severe problem behaviors. Is learning to read going to be a first priority for him? And is the school prepared to focus on maybe things that are more of a priority for him? Mm. Or are they pretty stuck on we're teaching reading? Brentley is a, such a such a great kid. Um, <laughs> I, I've really enjoyed I really enjoyed him in my life. Um, yeah. And it's a shame that we don't get to see you guys anymore because of the move. But uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that things are going um, pretty well, and that yeah, you, things you are guys going will continue well. to make progress. That he's at grade level in in some of these areas is is really impressive. Yeah. Um, I shudder to think where he or you might be at if you guys would have just kind of stayed with that first original traditional yeah. approach. Yeah. And, and not gone out of your way to really seek out your own education. I honestly think about that a lot, especially now that some funding sources are changing in BC and what that could mean for kids like Brentley. I I think Brentley would be in an inpatient psychiatric unit. I, I have no doubts about that, not because Brentley isn't one. Brentley is everyone who meets Brentley. He is the biggest joy when mm -hmm. he is happy. He is hilarious. He will script all day long and tell you these crazy stories right now. It's, and they don't know where they are. And he goes, <laughs> and where are they? Where are they? He is like a showman. He's a showman and so, so much fun. And, and Lincoln too, right? Doesn't he know Lincoln, the whole, the whole show of Hamilton? He does know the whole show of Hamilton. Um, since going to public school, he no longer thinks that's very cool, but he ah. is still in musical theater. <laughs> right. um, he won't talk about it, though, but he is. Um, and they're both very, very, very fun. Um, Brentley does have his struggles. Obviously, sometimes he no longer had banks. He hasn't in over a year, I think. That's amazing. And his head banks at some point were, I mean, we're talking hundreds a day. Hundreds a day. And, on concrete, on hard doors, yeah. And not stopping his head banging until he was able to really hurt himself. Yeah. Yeah. So it was pretty bad. And I mean, 
you know, I have no doubts without my training and without, with just listening to people around me and around my community who just really didn't know how to work with Brantley, he would have been in a, in a much different place in a much scarier place. Cause if what I've learned since knowing Brantley is if you try and fight against, and I say fight, like, cause that's kind of what you have to do in escape extinction. If you're really doing escape extinction yeah. to can, if you continue to fight against a kid who, is like that or is who's headbanging and who's aggressing. They're doing it for a reason that really makes sense to them. And to fight against it like that is just going to make them angrier and in a worse place and which will increase behaviors. And I have no doubts that Brentley would have been in such a place where it wouldn't have been safe for him. At home. Well, um, <laughs> he made a good choice in you as a parent. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. He's doing really um, great now. Yeah. The only the only thing uh, left, I guess, that we haven't talked about that I had planned was um, just this final question. If if you were going to give a parent of a child with special needs just one piece of advice, uh, what comes to you uh, as something that you wish you would have learned earlier in your journey? Uh, maybe it's something we've already discussed, but is there anything that you would say, okay, if I had just one thing that I was going to tell a parent who was getting a diagnosis, here's what I wish I would have known right from the beginning. Um, can you yeah. think of something off the top of your head? Yeah, I can. The first thing I would know is you can do this. And I don't mean like you can do this, like you're strong enough to, you know, just be a parent. You can do this as in an autism diagnosis doesn't change your child and it doesn't change your ability to parent. You might need to learn different approaches and you should learn those different approaches but don't listen to any professional or person who tells you to do something that's against what you think is right as your parenting values. I, I just think so many people just go, well, they're the professional. So that's what we're doing at the expense of their kids. And I just think as with the seven steps to instructional motivation and all these techniques, there's so many things out there where you can build your relationship with your child and you can teach them um, with support from professionals, of course, but um, at the end of the day, you can still parent them. You don't no longer know how to parent just because of a piece of paper that says autism on it. So, so yeah. trust yourself. Yeah. Uh, trust and yourself and, and, and learn. Believe in yourself. Yeah. And, um, and, and ultimately if they're like you, they'll do the research too. They'll do the work. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. You got to learn. You have to you have to learn in order to, to know what to advocate for. Right. And so those would be my main things. I just see so many parents who are like in this dark place because they don't know what to do. And I, I understand that, but so once you know what to do, you can just have so much more hope and so much more peace at this is a different parenting journey, but We'll just teach a little differently and, and you can still do a lot of the same, same things with a lot more teaching and maybe breaking things down. Awesome. Well, I'll tell you, Kels, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day. Uh, I know you're, uh, you need to get back to the boys pretty soon. Um, you have always impressed me and uh, I just want to thank you for taking the time and being a part of the show today. Well, thank you for having me and, and thanks for doing this. I think it's great that more people are learning about the seven steps and, anything I can do to get it, get it out there. It's a good teaching method. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Kels. And uh, you take care and say hi to the boys for me. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you for taking the time to join me today on the Just 7 Steps podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take just a moment to leave me a comment, give a thumbs up, share the video with others, and subscribe to our YouTube channel so that you won't miss out on any of our Just 7 Steps videos designed to help parents of children with challenges find your family's path to progress. See you right here next week.